At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 626th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who gets excited about sharing gardening stories. We're talking with returning guest, Kevin Espiritu, about epic garden growth. His business, Epic Gardening, began as a way for Kevin to present gardening information in a more modern, updated way to his friends and family. First came the website, followed by YouTube, a daily podcast, and finally his social media presence on Instagram and Facebook, which, by the way, is huge. Kevin is the author of Field Guide to Urban Gardening and his new book, Grow Bag Gardening, both from our friends at Quardo Publishing. Kevin, you've been on our podcast a couple of times now in episode 473, where we talked about small space urban gardens, and episode 480, where we talked about your Apocalypse Grow Survival Challenge. Two great episodes. So today, well, I am sure it's going to be epic. So welcome back to the show. Hey, thank you. Triple threat. We're, we're on to number three. Let's hope it's the best one yet. Hey, I'm in. Let's do it. So can you bring us up to speed on what's been happening since our last episode? Man, I think since the last one, which would have been that Apocalypse Grow Survival Challenge, that would have been before I moved to a new home. Oh, so nice. I, I think e- either it was before or maybe we were recapping it for the next year. But regardless, it's it's been quite a big change here. So I've got a new house here in San Diego, went from about a 15 by 30 foot front yard garden to a 13,000 square foot bare lot. Basically. Oh, nice. Um, and have been trying to work on on transforming that into a, an urban homestead, sort of a modern urban homestead approach. Wow, cool. So I walk up to the driveway. I, there's a house on the property, right? Yes, yeah. Great. So I walk up the driveway. What am I seeing? So you're, pro- well, let's, Let's go back first. What you were seeing uh-huh. would have been one loquat tree and one weird-looking citrus tree and then just wood chips and then a small 950-square-foot home. Oh, right. And that's it. And, and chain-link fences everywhere. Now what you're going to see is an entire citrus hedge, and we can talk about that maybe, a grow-bag garden, a raised-bed garden in the front. We've got solar on the roof now. We've got rainwater capture so I wouldn't say we're super far along. It's only been about 10 months since I've been living here, but we've put in a lot of work on trying to make this space way more sustainable and way more productive. Wow. So you bought it during COVID. Yeah, bought it in June, early June of the COVID, the COVID year, 2020. Wow. What an exciting project. And I don't know if you've seen my front hedge, but the front of my house is 80 feet wide. There's a driveway and there's a citrus hedge. So it goes street, berm, citrus hedge. Mm. Tell me about yours. That's nice. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah, I, I think it's such a smart idea. Uh, the, the way I approached mine is on the north side of my property, I already had an existing citrus. I still may remove that one because it's just 
been very poorly taken care of and I can actually fit more than one tree in the same spot. Uh But nevertheless, I said, you know what? On this north facing front side fence, I'll put a citrus hedge because it's going to be an evergreen hedge. And I did something kind of weird where I decided to plant them only four foot apart, which is pretty, that's pretty tight. Yeah. But the idea was let's do a backyard orchard culture style approach where I'm going to top them via summer pruning down to maybe eight foot maximum. Mm hmm. And I'll just let them sort of grow together a bit. And the idea there is I could block off so I have a little bit more privacy on that north side. And I get this sort of plethora of fruits as the years go on that just are productive year after year after year. Isn't that cool? Well, my hedge is actually in my front yard. Is your hedge in your Mm -hmm. front yard? It is, yeah. It's on the front north fence, which is which is fantastic because it's not going to block anything, you know? Right. Well, and one thing, uh, usually in city planning and city ordinances, you can't have a fence in front of your house higher than about three feet. And when you... So exactly. my citrus hedge is like nine feet tall. So I have this privacy hedge, legal privacy hedge that runs down the entire front of my property, which is really cool. Yeah, exactly. And I think in my area, it's very much the same. And so, yeah, just grow your own hedge. A lot of the people in my area will grow some sort of other type of hedgerow that's not edible. And I'm like, well, if citrus is evergreen, it looks good even if you didn't want to eat it and it produces fruit. And obviously that's the better move. Right. Yeah, Yeah, I'm totally in on that. So we've known each other for a while and I, you know, I follow you a bit as on, and I'll say a bit only because I'm pretty much allergic to Facebook and Instagram and that kind of stuff. Mm, I'm, mm. You know, I'm of an age that I just, I'm tired of it already. So, sure. and when I do jump on, I, you know, have a tendency to follow what you're up to. I saw a while back you standing in a warehouse and it's like, hold on, put on the brakes. Why does Kevin need a warehouse? Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, technically I guess I don't, but I also do. So <laughs> the, the reason why is because, one of the things that I've tried to do as I've expanded Epic Gardening is not only try to offer, you know, at least what I consider to be like nice and palatable ways to understand gardening. So whether that be on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, just a, you know, just sort of a 2021 approach to the education side of it. Mm -hmm. But also on the product side, I started thinking about, you know, for, for a world and an industry that's supposed to be about, you know, sustainability, being conservative with your resources, all that kind of stuff it does seem like there's there were a lot of products that just aren't that way in our industry, right? We just sort of throw them away or we get them every single yeah. season, whatever. And so I started offering some limited amount of products for sale, which are most of mostly the raised beds from Birdie's Garden Products in Australia. Mm-hmm. So I distribute those here and they're just big products. You know, I don't know what else to say. They're, they're large boxes and those boxes cost money to store if you're paying someone else to do it for you. And eventually the math worked out that it was cheaper to own the warehouse and do it myself than to pay someone else to do it. Wow. Uh, and so that's why the warehouse existed. But the whole idea with that is what are some products in gardening? I think we both could name a few. I'm thinking oh, yeah. seed starting trays, you yep. know, so there's certain things we use all the time, but they're just not high quality and they're not going to last a long time. And so the idea is like, okay, well, what, what can I put my sights on that are just, just ripe for improvement that you can make it way higher quality and people won't have to waste plastic over and over and over again. And well, that's that's the goal. I mean, right now we're doing the raised beds. And like I said, those take up a lot of space. So I could fill that whole thing with just the raised beds, to be honest with you. But we did start out with these these six cell trays that are, are really nice. Because you know the, the 1020 trays and the 72 yep. cell inserts that you'll get, they're just made out of just about the flimsiest plastic you can make yes. them out of yeah. and still have them work. And so you know, I partnered up with a friend of mine and he came out with this 
six cell. So it's six cells, but 12 of them fit in a 1020. So you still get a 72 cell if you want to. You can just uh -huh. remove them six cells at a time. But they're extremely durable. Like I'm 230 pounds. I can stand on it with one foot and it doesn't even break. And there's a large hole at the bottom. So you can pop your transplants out easier. Yeah. And there's slits in the side so that it root prunes itself and you get nice growth. You don't have a root bound transplant. And so, you know, that's just another little thing that we tried to, to hit the market with. And it seems like people really like them. And so, you know, you got to have a place to put all this stuff. So I'm on your website, epicgardening.com, and I'm looking at your epic six-cell seed starter trays. They look pretty cool. And yeah, they work well. I'll yeah. Tell, you. Just tell people, because what you just said was a lot of garden speak. Mm -hmm. about the you know seed starting trays can you kind of dig that in a, dig that up a little bit and tell us tell us more about what that is you know the 72 slots and all that stuff sure yeah yeah so if you have a if you go to a standard nursery you'll go and you'll get a, what's called a 1020 tray so 10 inches by 20 inches it's like a black tray with about two inches of depth to it mm -hmm. and then a lot of the time when you're starting seeds you'll get some sort of insert you put in that tray it might have 24 cells in it. It might have 72 cells. And a cell is just a slot where you're going to put some soil and some, and some seeds. Mm -hmm. And what's happened over the years is I think a lot of the products for the home garden market have been adapted from the nursery trade, and they just don't make sense for the home garden. So that would be, in my opinion, a perfect example because they're so flimsy right. and they just... What if you need? What if you're planting your whole garden because you don't have a big garden, right, Greg? Yes. Well, 72 cells. Then what if your tomatoes come up before your lettuce or whatever? You're gonna have to dig those out of the cells. It's just sort of inconvenient. And so I think with, with especially with new gardeners, you want to make things as easy as possible. So what you should do is you should create products that last a long time and and are just easier to use and actually perform better. And so that's that was the whole goal with that one. Nice. Well, congratulations. So. This this actually looks like a six pack that you'd get at at any garden nursery with flowers or vegetables in it, right? Mm -hmm. nice. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it kind of looks like that. It's just it's just slimmed down a little bit. Yeah, and it's super heavy duty, obviously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So, what really caught my eyes was these birdies raised bed gardens. Tell me about them. I I, I had this. I had this memory sometime over the past two or three years that I saw them and was like, wow, those are cool. And then all of a sudden you're working with them. So tell me, tell me how that process happened. How did you make that epic happen? And then tell me what they are. Yeah. So that one came about just because I had seen them online, maybe in 2017. And I just thought that they looked really interesting. And for a small space gardener, I like the idea that you could configure them differently. So you'd buy one kit and you could make it six different ways or eight different ways because oh, nice. they are paneled in their design. So you'll get four corners, six side panels. And depending on how you arrange those side panels, of course, you can achieve a different dimension. So I said, you know what? That seems like a good idea for a small space gardener because you can move them around. They're lightweight. They're made out of metal, so they're not going to rot. Uh, so I said, you know what? Let me, let me get a few of these. So I, I did. I got like maybe four put them in the front yard. I was still making my videos and stuff. And, you know, everyone was like, what, what are those things? And I said, oh, they're these product from Australia. I, I think you can get them maybe from someone here. I'm not sure. And eventually I, the light bulb went off and I said, well, why don't I just, <laughs> if, if, if everyone wants them, you know, why don't I just ask birdies if I can sell them here? And so what I did is every quarter or so I would email birdies and say, hey, you know, do you mind if, if I distribute them here? It seems like you guys have a really great product. I, I certainly love them. And they said, oh, you know, we, we kind of have someone, we kind of don't, we're, we're just, it's something we're thinking about. 
and then eventually they they did come back and say you know what we're we're ready to go if you are and i said okay let's let's go and you know now that's actually become a, a very significant part of of the business um uh, so it's it's been fantastic i think it's just great to offer something that that lasts a really 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 long time and you don't need any construction knowledge to put together yeah so tell me what they are what do they look like how do you configure them yeah yeah sure so they're a corrugated galvanized steel um so kind of like what the side of like a stock tank would look like oh right mm -hmm. so it's it's that corrugated design so it makes them really strong right because it's that wave pattern and then we've put a outer coat of paint on top so you get a little bit of extra protection and then really besides that it's just these metal panels and so you'll you'll put the corners on you'll bolt the side panels to them which flat and then like i said however you arrange those is, is how the design will be but the cool part is they really just work. I mean, the, the small model is 15 inches tall. The tall model is 30 inches tall. Now, if you're building a raised bed out of wood that's 30 inches tall, it's just a lot of wood. Oh, yeah. And with the price of wood right now, it's oh, quite expensive. Yeah. Like, it'd be twice as much, maybe. Um, especially if you're making it out of a good wood, right? Like, if you were doing dug fir, that's a different story. But if you were doing redwood, well, you know, good luck. And it's still going to rot at some point in time. So that's basically what they are. Um, I personally, since I'm very tall, I like growing in the, a taller bed if I'm doing raised beds. Mm -hmm. And so having a 29, 30 inch tall raised bed for me is great because I barely have to bend over to work in that bed. Whereas on my, you know, my in-ground garden, obviously I'm, I'm on my hands and knees and, and doing that, which is fantastic. That's, that's great, you know, but if you do want a little more accessible garden, it's, it's great for that. Yeah. Well, and with the raised, it's raised beds in the desert are kind of hard you have to you have to do a little bit more work but everywhere else around the country where it's not so hot raised beds are nice protection against rabbits and other sure, small sure. animals too right yeah yeah i mean i think if you're going for animal protection your best bet's probably a tall one right because yeah. rabbits aren't getting up a corrugated metal side and neither right. squirrels however they can jump in i've seen them be able to jump in from something else that's taller that, that's around them so mm -hmm. like a tree maybe or something mm -hmm. they'll be able to jump in from there still a pretty aggressive move for them to do so at that point you're really looking for preventing against maybe deer if you have those or birds uh, and at that point you know net netting is is one of your best options there of fencing and then the other thing to think about is if you have a digging pest the tall ones are nice because typically when you fill the tall one you don't want to waste a, a bunch of money on the bottom 50 percent of the bed you know, because most plants aren't getting that low right. root-wise. And so just throw some logs. I, I just threw some a bunch of tree stumps in the bottom yes. and filled that up. And that's your gopher wire because gophers aren't really probably making it up through there. Of course, you could still screen it off with hardware cloth if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. But I, I haven't had any issues, and I actually do have some gophers in the area. Wow, that's a great idea. You know, I've heard that people actually put gravel on the bottom of these beds too, just as a barrier, for, you know, a couple inches as a barrier. Sure. Yeah, that, that can work as well. I mean, you could do the classic landscape fabric, weed cloth type of thing mm -hmm. too. But um, yeah, there's nothing wrong with some gravel. So these are just sides, no bottom. No bottom, yeah. 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 I mean, what's nice is, let's say you don't have a digging pest problem. Well, what I would do is I would just put my 15-inch tall ones, we call those the original ones, on the ground, and they would connect directly to the soil. And so something if something actually did want to penetrate deeper than the 15 inches, like a deep taprooted plant, well, it still could. And there's right. no problem with that, you know? So you, it's, it's nice for that reason. And I, I just don't see the, the benefit, I guess, to having bottoms on them. Yeah. Well, and they ship better and they're lighter. Yeah. And, and yep. you're right. The plants connecting to the ground is always best, I think. When I, mm -hmm. lo yeah, I, I love that I you totally agree. 
I love that you put the logs in as well. Uh, you know, it's called uh, Hugel culture is, uh, yep. is the term for that. And uh, what I've often suggested that people do with raised beds is fill the bottom half with woody mulch. You know, yep, if you, that works too. You know, I, I, a lot of the times I'll do like, I'll do the logs first and then I'll do like twigs and woody mulch and grass clippings and food scraps or whatever mm -hmm. up until about the 50 or 60% mark. And then from there, I'll do a custom soil mix and I'll, I'll fill it up with the good stuff from there on out. Cool. And, you know, I'm on your website looking at these. They're not expensive, you know, from... You yeah, know, I mean, I, I think com compared to what they could be costing, like, you know, a competitor's pricing, mm -hmm. it's actually not that expensive, especially like even before COVID, Greg, when, when wood was more reasonably priced, I just, I just built a fence, so I'm feeling the sting. I'll just oh, say that right. much. Yeah. But um, even before then, they were sort of close to parity if you valued your time, right? Because you have to build the bed and go to the store and, and construct the actual wood. Yeah. And then if you, if you take into account that, I mean, we've got some of these that are going 13 years strong with like very, very minimal corrosion on them versus wow. almost any wood bed at that point is going to be in a little bit rougher shape. So, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think they're at least at parity with, with a wooden bed. Of course, you have to like the style, right? You have to like what they look like, and, and that, for some people, some people just aren't as much of a fan of the metal. When I've actually used galvanized trash cans before for pots, mm -hmm. you know, you mm -hmm. can get a... You can get How a did those work for you? Did they, did they rust out on you after a while, or were they okay? Well, let me tell you, I have four of them on my back patio that I planted in 2004. Mm -hmm. That's, what, 16 years ago? And yep. finally, just last year... The, the rust is looking like, okay, I'm going to probably have to replace these soon. That's after 16 okay. years. I bet I can probably get 18 to 20 years out of them. And a yeah. 30... And that's fantastic. Yeah, right? A 30-gallon pot the size of a galvanized trash can is easily going to cost you 400 bucks. You know, oh, yeah. For a oh, yeah. Clay I mean, one that, or that terracotta, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So... 30 bucks for a trash can is a pot. And I just drilled some holes in the bottom and boom, we're good to go. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it depends on your goals, of course, right? Like I've always said, if you want to build your own beds, there's nothing wrong with that at all. I actually, right. personally, I really like the look of wood. I love working mm -hmm. with wood. I like building stuff. Um, but for me, just take me as a case example, right? But pretend I'm not doing epic gardening. I had about 14 of those beds in my front yard before I moved to this new house, right? So if I was moving and I was doing wood, I'd have to deconstruct them and all this. All I did in that case was I just lifted them directly upwards and it, the, the soil will actually shake out from them, all right. which is great. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can either deconstruct them if you want to by taking them into, back to the panels. Or if you are moving like a short distance, you can just put them in the back of a truck and stack them up and plop them back down and your garden's good to go again as soon as you fill it up with soil. Nice, nice, nice. You seem pretty excited about these. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I try to, if I'm going to sell something, right, I try to have it be something that not only do I use profusely, but I really, really, really like, and it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, cool. Well, thank you for bringing those to us. Where can people find out more information about the Birdies Raised Bed Gardens? Yeah. Those are just at um, shop.epicgardening.com. So shop.epicgardening.com. Cool. They're, they'll be right there. And we've got customer service and all that. So if anyone has any questions, they can just hit us up and happy to help. Excellent. So you have a new book out called Grow Bag Gardening. Tell me mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. So that one kind of came about, again, trying to, trying to come at the garden world a little bit different, I guess, and, and talk about just one method, right? Just instead of 
going over different topics or concepts. Let's just look at one type of growing, these grow bags. Do you grow them at all, Greg, or, or no? I have in the past. Yeah. It's the low desert. You know, we yeah, get, we it, get it'd be kind of rough. Yeah, it's, it's harder in the low desert to do mm-hmm. grow bag gardens. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I think, yeah, for, for me, they're, they're fantastic. If you're going to grow in a container, I love a grow bag because they delete the root boundedness that's, that tends to happen in a container. Right. So, you know, it, it just doesn't happen in a grow bag because they're so porous on the edges that when the roots reach the edges, they actually die off and, and they start stimulating more growth from the center of the root structure instead mm-hmm. of wrapping around. So you just get an overall healthier root structure, which is, I'm obviously I'm here for that if I'm trying to garden, right? Oh yeah. And so that's, that's fantastic. And then they're lightweight, they're easy. I mean, for me, it's a lot of, it's just like, is it easy for a home gardener to, to get going with this, you know, and, and grow bags in my view, they are, they're just a really easy thing to get started with. Yeah. Well, they're super simple. You buy a, it's a cloth base. Tell people what it is. I won't say you tell people what it is. You wrote the book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a grow bag is basically a lightweight sort of woven fabric pot that can come in all different colors. Sometimes they'll have handles. It'll go from about a gallon in size to, I mean, I have one that's 100 gallons, but the most common size is probably anywhere from like 7 to 15 gallons. And you just fill it up with soil, pop your plants in, water it as you would a normal container, and, and you're good to go. But obviously there are those benefits that I, I just teased a little bit. Yeah, basically an instant garden. More or less, yeah, yeah. more or less. Cool, and this is brand new. It just came out this year. Uh-huh, yeah, this would came out, I think, in... Um, it kept getting pushed back because of COVID, but it was something like something like April, I think. Nice, yeah. Mm-hmm. Grow bag gardening, the revolutionary way to grow bountiful vegetables, herbs, fruits, and flowers in lightweight, eco-friendly fabric pots. That's the title mm-hmm. and the subtitle. What is? Yeah, quite in, the title. <laughs> yeah, right. In one, in writing the book, what is a couple of key pieces that you can share with people? Well, I think. The one I mentioned is, is probably the number one reason, which was the air pruning benefits is what that's called. Yeah. But I think one thing that's really cool with a lightweight pot that, that you can move pretty easily is you can do some creative stuff. Like if you have a, an area that needs extra pollination, for example, in, in your summer garden, you could just have a pollinator style bag where you put like, you know, African blue basil or lavender or something like that. Something that really brings in the bees move that to the area of the garden that also needs more pollination. And voila, you have, you sort of have like a, a mobile pollinator, you know, strategy right there, which is kind of cool. Okay. 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 That's epic. That is epic. Yeah. There you go. You know, there you go. Um, so, you know, that's, that's one idea that I think it's just marginally easier to move something that's very lightweight with handles than it is, you know, like a big clay pot that you spent, like you said, a couple hundred bucks on or something. You don't want to break it which I've done. I mean, I've, I've gone oh, yeah. to the store, bought an $100 pot and then broken it in like the next few days. And, oh, wow. You know, that, didn't feel, that didn't feel great. So, you know, there's that. There's the idea of themed bags. So, you know, a salsa bag where you do tomatoes, peppers, onions, and, and some, you know, some cilantro or something. On, the, um, front, you, uh, you on could, the front cover of the book. There you go. Yeah, Tomatoes exactly. and peppers, um, yeah. You, you could do strawberry bags because there's, there's a style of bag that I call, I think, the multi-pocket grow bag in there where you've got the top, as any container would have, but then they've also cut in slits on the side and those oh. slits have little folds in them. So it's kind of like one of those like strawberry tumbler type of pots that you can mm-hmm. get at the nursery, uh-huh. but it's just way cheaper and it's made out of something lightweight again. So y- it's not heavy. It's easy to move. And I've done strawberries in those pretty successfully. Um, what else is a good combination? Stir fry bag. So you could do like Asian vegetable bag. 
uh, just a lot of a lot of cool ideas for those. Yeah. Wow. Well, congratulations. I know it's always a epic process to go from, oh my gosh, I want to write this book to having it be published. And so just virtual high five to you, man. Hey, thank you. Yeah, it's it uh, certainly it's not my uh, favorite type of thing to create content wise. <laughs> right. But uh, when it's done, it does feel very good to be done with it and right. have it out there in the world. Yeah, exactly. So we had you on episode 480 and we talked about the Apocalypse Grow Survival Challenge. And mm -hmm. if you want a deep cut into that, go listen to episode 480 because it's, it's, well, you know, I'm going to use this word again. It was, you do epics in the world. <laughs> and, yeah, I try. I sure try. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I've said for years, epic happens because somebody says so. Mm. You know, and that's one of the things I really appreciate about you. It's like, you know, let's just go do it. Get her done. And let's do it. <laughs> so tell, give us a two minute synopsis of what that was and maybe what you've done since what's happened since. Yeah. So that was the thesis there was like, Hey, if I'm, and this is when I was in my old house, right? So very small garden. The idea was, Hey, if I could live for a month off of what I can grow fish, barter for or forage for. And if I bartered, I couldn't barter for something that, you know, was mass produced. I had to barter for something that person grew or made themselves as well. I said, if I could do that in this spot where I'm growing 15 by 30 foot urban yard, mm -hmm. well, then that kind of means that almost anyone could grow at least something, right? At least some of their own food, because that's a pretty extreme thing to do. Right. And so th that's basically what I set out to do. And, you know, we talked about it in that episode, like you mentioned, but now I was out there growing about 100 pounds of potatoes, running around on the beaches, collecting fish, trading potatoes for eggs, foraging in the neighborhoods for, you know, mulberries and all sorts of different things like that. And so that, that was really the idea there. And it was a lot of fun. It was very difficult. But in the end, the point was proved that, that it could be done. And that could be done was you ate for how long? By growing 30 days, it or 30 days, 30 days. Nice. Actually, two years ago to the day would have been my very last day of that challenge, Greg. Oh, right. I was just looking you up. Episode 480 was in, we did that in September of 2019. So, yeah. So have you taken that further? Yep. Have you done anything else with that? Or is that? Uh... No, I, I got to be honest. I, I was kind of burned out after I did it. And yeah. as I've established this new place, it would just take too much out of me right now to do it. However, I think you know, the long-term trend of the urban homestead would be to do that. Damn straight. Just as, as a way of being, right? So Of course. Yeah. So, so in the future, I will. Yeah. Grow, you know, grow a, an epic edible landscape that you can harvest food out of every day. I do that here at the urban farm. I have been doing that for years. There you go. Yeah. yeah that's what it's all about. Amen to that. So tell us about your, you know, your social media, YouTube channels, how people can find all that stuff. Yeah, so really everything is called Epic Gardening. Um, so if, if whatever platform you like to be on, if you just type in Epic Gardening, I'll be there in some form. Mm -hmm. The only different things these days are on Instagram and YouTube. I do have Epic Homesteading as well oh, as nice. separate channels and, mm -hmm. and accounts. And so, you know, that goes into more like energy systems, solar, water capture, cooking, preserving, you know, the stuff that's not directly related to the garden. So that is, that's just Epic Homesteading, but everything else is you know, Epic Gardening. So if you want to go check it out, that's what it'll be. Great. And your website? EpicGardening.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks, Greg. It's great to be back. 
Hope the third one was as good as the others. Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. Well, you always bring great information, and that's really what the podcast and all your education is about and all of my education is about, is like, how can we offer something that inspires people to go out and grow, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly what it's all about. Excellent, excellent. And you can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash epic again. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.